and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wingedly perspective. It is Saturday, March 24th, 2018. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And I am fighting a headache that's bordering on a migraine. Yeah. It's not quite a migraine. Uh, it's knocking on the door of one. <laughs> Rachel is recovering from surgery. Yep. We're a pair. Uh, so we are in pain and moving around like the old octogenarians. <laughs> so from a millennial perspective, from a couple of millennials that feel much, much older today. Yes, yes. But we feel reinvigorated by watching what we're seeing on the news. And I figured we'd just jump into yeah. that since it's current. These kids, man. These fucking kids. God, I love them. And they're just incredible. Um, today is the March for Our Lives, mm-hmm. um, the the March for Gun Control, uh, brought to you by students who survived mass shootings, um, and it's incredible. Um, the one that's been primarily shown on the TV has been Washington, D.C. But they're everywhere. Uh, but they're everywhere. Yeah, there's they're, one happening here in about an hour in Denver. Yep. Which we can't get to because we feel like crap. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we need a podcast for you. Um, I mean, it's it's amazing to watch. There's so many people. It's it's really akin to the Women's March in yeah. terms of, of looking at the numbers and looking at the crowds and the signs and the, the passion and the enthusiasm. Um it's amazing. And it's young people. Yeah. So we've been, we waited a little bit and we've been watching quite a bit of it this morning and I have some thoughts. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, um, uh, this my brain is total fog, <laughs> but I guess what I was going to say is, you know, th- this has to be turned into real, Action. They've already accomplished so much. You look like at what they got passed through the Florida legislature, right. which is still to me mind boggling. I'm from Florida. Yeah. And it's it's one of the most backwards conservative um, legislatures in the country. It's not as bad as, say, Texas or Kansas. Right. But it's it's bad. Mm-hmm. And they got they didn't get everything, <clears throat> but they they got some real reforms. In Very Florida. Quickly. Remember, it's only been, what, 34 days? Yeah. Since this happened? Right. I mean, it seems like it's months ago now, but it's barely been a month. Right. And these kids organized so quickly and so effectively, and they're not getting thrown off the trail. They're not getting bored. They're not, you know, finding other things to do. Like, they're invested. They're in this. And they're not getting bullied. I mean, they are getting bullied. They, they're, they're not allowing no. the bullying to sway them in any way they are going forward they have a fucking message they have a plan and they're carrying it out in a way that is more effective than anything i've seen in my lifetime really um i i I, hope to god that our party uh, leaders are paying close attention yeah because just take away the, the 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 myopic uh view that that it's just the gun issue these kids are doing what we've been screaming about the party needing to do. They have very coherent, clear messaging and talking points and they stick to it and they do not waver and they do not apologize. No. And they do not try to mitigate or, 
uh, hedge in any in any way. No, they no. Are, they are consistent. They are persistent, and they stay on message and drill the message over and over and over and over again. Yes, and it's what we have been lacking for the past. 30, 40 years. Yeah. And, you know, they... Exactly. Um, Every person that I've seen that has stood on that stage that has been giving speeches today, the youngest person I saw was 11 years old. And she was great. And she was fucking amazing. And uh, she... Her message was the same, which was, you may think I'm too young to have opinions. You may think that I don't know what I'm talking about. I've been accused of being a pawn of adults. And none of that is true. Let me tell you what else we've seen, which is encouraging. It wasn't just a bunch of suburban white kids from Parkland. You had a lot of people of color, uh, kids from inner cities who died in gun violence that has nothing necessarily to do with school shootings. Right. So this isn't just about, you know, uh, you know, some crazy person who shot up a a white person's school. They they've gone beyond that. They have incorporated into their message, not just you know, school shootings in gated communities, to use their language, but but gun violence as a whole and how it has affected communities of color. And they are raising up those voices and allowing those voices to be heard in a way that is so fucking inspiring. I don't even know this is how, how we to talk uni- about this it. This is so how amazing. we unify and win <coughs> and take back Congress and state houses. This is how we do it. We don't do it by trying to kowtow to... Um, you know, agitated, jingoistic white people in the nope. Rust Belt. Nope. You know, like they, they want to keep voting against their self-interests. How many of them are we going to turn knocking on their doors? We unite the young people, this wave of young millennials coming into voting age, young people of color. Um, this is how we win. We have the numbers to swamp them. This is how we do it. We don't do it the Sandernistas way. No. Which is the only people that really matter are the the white people in the Rust Belt. I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm saying they have their own influences and, and ideas and biases. And I'm not going to waste my time trying to strong arm them. And no. These kids them. have shown that if you... Take a look, if you take a step outside of your own bubble for a minute, right? They could have done what everyone else has done in these situations, which is have vigils and cry and talk about the awful tragedy that it was. And it always has been an awful tragedy. But they stepped outside of that for a minute and they said, you know, this isn't just about us. And look at all this attention that we're getting and look at how the media is treating us. And rather than just take all that space for themselves yeah. and take all that space and say, we would just want to be heard. They said, there's a lot of people affected by gun violence. And a lot of those people are people of color. And a lot of those people live in inner cities and mm. nobody's listening to them and no one's talking to them. And that's bullshit because they are yeah. just as much victims of violent crime by guns as we are. And so they went and they, they they've, they've created a coalition of people affected by gun violence and they have come to the national mall and all around the world and they have it's they didn't need to change their message this is the thing that that's so frustrating right about the democratic party is there's this sense among the sandernistas and the the purists that well if we want to talk about 
our message, we have to change it if we include people of color or if we include minority populations or if we include um, LGBT people or we talk about women. They have proven that that's not true. Mm -hmm. They've proven that they have the exact same message from their gated community as white kids in Florida as the inner city kids or people of color in Chicago. They have the same message, which is adults aren't fucking doing anything. Gun violence is a problem and we want you to fucking fix it. And the message didn't need to change, but bringing in that diversity of voices and bringing in that diversity of perspective has widened the cause with the same fucking message and just strengthened it. And and to that end, let's think back to the 2016 campaign for a minute during the primaries when black lives matter uh, crashed some of the Bernie uh, rallies and Clinton Uh, and Clinton. Yep. But, um, and in both cases, they really didn't know how to handle it. And especially with Bernie, his attitude and the attitude of the crowd was kind of like, go away, shut up, you're ruining our our, our, our party here, you're harshing our buzz. Right. Uh, whereas these kids, instead of doing that, they handed them the mic. They handed them said, the fucking we, mic. We need to hear what you have to That's say. That's right. Because you've been dealing with this, <clears throat> this systemically. Yeah. For much longer than we have. And I'm sure that your perspective would be very valuable to the country and to us. Please tell us how you feel. Please tell us what you think we should do. Please talk. Yeah. And if no one else is going to give you a fucking microphone, we will here. Mm-hmm. And they did. Yeah. And their message is the same, which is gun violence is a problem and it needs to be fixed. And I don't give a fuck about the NRA and I don't give a fuck about the money that you take from them or their political power. These kids don't give a shit. They're not scared. They are not scared of them. So the, on that note, I just read this this morning and I was ready to burn the goddamn world down. Um, there's something called NRA TV, which is, I guess like a YouTube channel or something. Yeah. It's an online thing. And, uh, this fucking guy, this is the kind of thing I was saying about the bullying, right? Uh, this, this guy, Kalyan Noir, which is a pseudonym for some guy. Um, of course, because they're so brave. Unlike Emma Gonzalez, like these kids right. using their real names. Right. These people need aliases. They do. These snowflakes need aliases. Yeah, exactly. Because they're right. so scared of us non-gun toters, mm-hmm. I guess, clawing their eyes out. I don't I know. I don't know. What they're afraid of. And he, he went on his little YouTube channel. Uh, he's got like 650,000 followers or something. I don't uh-huh. know. Who cares? Uh-huh. And basically said, um, no one would know your name if a student gunman hadn't stormed into their school and killed these people. Yeah. Quote, to all the kids from Parkland getting ready to use your First Amendment to attack everyone else's Second Amendment at your march on Saturday, I wish a hero like Blaine Gaskill had been at Marjorie Douglas High School last month because your classmates would still be alive and no one would know your names. Okay. So what he's referring to is the uh, SWAT... Um, trained school resource officer who stepped in during a school shooting this week in Maryland and stopped the Yeah, but his the target massacre. still died. Correct. <laughs> I mean, so what he, the, so the NRA's sort of um, angle on this whole thing is like, you know, the, this school resource officer is a good guy with a gun and he stepped in and he, he prevented a massacre, which is true. And they're using that to say what we need is more good guys with guns. Sure. Sure. But what they're missing, I think, first of all, they're missing a lot. Of how fucking insulting in this argument to these kids. Fuck you. Second of all, that is to the argument that we've been making, like saying this SWAT trained school resource officer, police officer who was armed, came in and took out this gunman before mass carnage ensued. 
No one on the left is opposed to that. No, none of these kids what are saying we're get opposed rid of the school to. Resource no, exactly. Officers. What we're opposed to is arming teachers who are not SWAT trained, who are not well, police officers. It's a broader argument. The, the the whole angle of let's arm the teachers is the whole Second Amendment fetishist NRA movement of more arm more people the better. Right. Because more ulti- guns. Ultimately, remember the NRA is a lobbying group for gun manufacturers. Right. And they want to sell more guns and ammunition. Right. It is that dark and that cynical. And if that means a bigger body count, whatever. Uh, Maybe in their core they actually believe more armed people makes for a safer society, but it doesn't make a difference. The, The whole point here is the kids very logically say, Less arms, especially assault-style weapons in the hands of the general population, very obviously means less violence and carnage. And the NRA Second Amendment fetishist argument is no, we the Second Amendment doesn't allow for this kind of thing and it's wrong. So if more good guys are armed, then, then it'll reduce these massacres. That that that's the that's the, right. the argument. So right. arming the teachers is 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 just sort of an example of this very broad argument. Right. And you know. Right. That's but the kids are. aren't having it. Of course. And the not. teachers no. aren't having it. <laughs> no. And the, no. the, the the parents aren't having it, right? And, and and the question is, are the voters not having it? Right. And so the what is I <clears throat> what I was gonna get to before was this is not getting as much coverage. But there's a lot of uh, – I'm reading a lot on, on Twitter and other places that there's a lot of voting registration going on behind the scenes and on the ground uh, at these, which which is completely necessary. Yes. Um, so just quickly to wrap up this NRA guy, this piece of shit, um, you know, he, he's like, nobody's covering this – this hero Blaine guy who, you know, Gaskill, who who saved all these lives and the mainstream media is ignoring it. And um, which is not true. No, <clears throat> of course, it's been we, everywhere. We knew all about it. Um, and so they haven't responded. The Parkland kids haven't responded directly to him. But <clears throat> yeah, David Hogg, who's kind of um, risen as one of the. Uh, leaders of the Parkland kids, who's just an incredibly well-spoken young man. Yeah, um, yeah going to talk about him in a minute. He responded, um, "It's immature, rude, and inhuman for these people to try to destroy the people, to destroy the people trying to prevent the death of the future of America because they won't." That's all he had to say about it. Uh, and I, that that's sort of um, just an example of how they have responded. Like these, you know, these adults, these. Full grown lawyer, adult lobbyist people are attacking these 16, 17, 18 year old kids um, in vicious and vile ways. And these kids are just coming back and saying, like, you're immature, you're rude, that's inhuman, and fuck you. And they're not stopping. I think increasingly um, the NRA TV types are really speaking in a bubble. Yeah. Into a bubble. And. You know, it's I want to sort of expand this nexus into some things about this whole rally. Um, There were some very raw seminal moments. There was a a young lady from Parkland who was so worked up and nervous. She actually threw up. Oh, yeah. She didn't like, you know, like puke right on the microphone. She kind of turned around and she just kind of like, you know, I just threw up. 
And then she finished, you know, with her speech and her poem. And it was really like, just like raw and effective and, you know, yeah. it, it was real. Real. Uh, but other aspects of this whole thing were very polished. You had all these big, big pop stars doing numbers and it was, you know, very well branded and... Uh, I guess that sort of worried me a little, but then at the same time, no, because what we're trying to do here, like these kids have realized this is not about the intractable Second Amendment gun hugging types anymore. Right. We're not going to change their mind. No. We, we need to just defeat them and we defeat them with superior numbers. Yes. So while the... And it's probably still this way. The the Democratic establishment has always been, don't piss them off. Try to placate them. Try to hold the middle ground. Don't say you're going to take away people's guns and right. piss them out. And yeah, just, yeah. just like common sense gun reform. And they're like, just fucking take their goddamn assault weapons away. Right. Period. And, and you remember all the flack Obama took for just saying people cling <clears throat> to their guns. Right. Like he, that was oh my God, the it was world like, melting yes. down. Uh-huh. And, and so... You, you understand the reticence, but at the same time, it's just they're, they're, they've been trying to hold this pseudo olive branch out for people who have just turned on any anything resembling the Democratic Party a long time ago and are never coming back. And it's like these kids are just so much more savvy and smarter and seem to understand the political landscape better than people who have been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Uh, so the fact in that part, I- like they have more at stake and less at stake. Right. They have more at stake because it's their literal fucking lives that we're talking about. Yeah. And in part, they are not a part of that intractable system and they don't much care for it and they don't really care who is a part of it and they don't really care how it's set up. They don't give a shit. They don't care about all of that. Right. It's like the the Bernie movement. Uh, except with logic. <laughs> right. Right. I would yeah. I would, I hearken it to. um Talking about choice, because that's a conversation I've been having for a really long time. And. I think a long time ago, a long time ago, the pro-choice movement stopped trying to change the hearts and minds of the pro-life movement. It became very obvious that we're not even on the same playing field. We're not at this. We're not sitting at the same table. We're not even close. There is no reason there. There is no middle ground for me to find with someone who believes that abortion is murdering a child. Or that life begins at conception. Right. right. There is no middle ground. They sincerely believe that life begins at conception and abortion is literally murdering a baby. I There's nowhere for me to go with that. Mm-hmm. There's no there is nothing for me to say to them that's going to change that. And they're never going to see my perspective and I'm never going to see theirs. So we stopped courting the pro-life movement a long time ago. And we just started focusing on everyone else. Mm-hmm. And there will always be that faction of people who believe that we are baby murderers, but we don't need to focus on changing their minds. We need to focus on everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what these kids are showing today is I don't need to have a conversation with a Second Amendment fetishist about guns. I, it's not helpful. What I need to do is get the average Joe who agrees with me that universal background checks are important and all of the things what we need to do is we need to make this an issue that becomes important to them yeah as far as politics go there's still room for nuance right it's where connor lamb did an ad where he's holding an ar-15 but ultimately he's for more common sense gun reform you have to toe that line especially in certain districts and places 
Like we, we get that. That that that's not the point. The point is that most Americans, if you if we've talked about this before, right? If you poll them, most Americans agree with common sense gun reform. Yeah. What the problem is is that we need to make it something they vote on. And that's what these kids are doing. They're saying, look, I'm not trying to change the mind of people who, you know, literally are strapping AR-15s to their head with halos in that church, that crazy thing that happened. Mm-hmm. People that literally want to like fuck guns and marry guns like those people. Let's just not worry about. Yeah. Let's make the gun issue, though. The gun control issue, the issue that people generally agree with us, let's make it at the top of the list. Let's push it forward in the public consciousness. Let's make it a thing that people care enough about that they'll change their vote because of it. Yeah. That's where change happens. Yeah. Change doesn't happen with those crazies. Change happens with doing this march, all of this the, all of this exposure and the march and all of the speeches and stuff. That's the point. The point is to say first of all, we're going to shame any politician who takes money from the NRA and refuses to vote the right way. And B, to make the American public bring this to the forefront of their consciousness and say, this is something that matters. Yeah. This is something I care about. And this is something that could potentially impact how I vote. And it's so fucking smart. Now, before all this, of course, <laughs> the Republicans were being swamped by this new wave of millennials who they are just absolutely getting crushed by. And a lot of them were going to register anyway and vote for the first time anyway for a litany of reasons. But, you know, does this push that even more? And probably it does. Yeah. Now, you know, is that enough? We, we will see. I, I am I, I'm still not convinced this, you know, th- this helps add to the blue wave so much that we get everything we need in November. It is still a slog. It's still going to take daily work and so much door knocking and so much registering and so much everything this group of kids seem very motivated. It is spreading to a lot of young, active kids uh, throughout the country, and that's great. Uh, but you know, uh, I, the jury is still out on on does this does this affect the change that we? Yeah, but that's we what they said about the women's march. What does it really do? What's the point? <clears throat> okay, a bunch of people, a bunch of women, and some men got in the streets and marched and wore pussy hats, and who cares? Yeah, what the yeah. point? But and. And, you know, you were even cynical back then about this. And I would argue it's more that cautious than cynical. I would right. Say. I and I tried to have those conversations back then. Like, I don't exactly know what it will do. And I, yeah, but early, I don't think it's pointless. Like no, I had no, a lot no, of conversations. No, 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 I'm not saying that you thought it was pointless. Either. Yeah. I'm saying I had a lot of conversations with people who were conservative or or sort of middle of the road, which is what's the point? What does it do? And what? And I didn't know then, but I knew it did something. And what we've learned is that what it did was, first of all, you know, rally a bunch of people together who believe the same thing and create some activist groups, create activists out of people who weren't before, create right. voters out of people who weren't before. But the most important thing I think that the Women's March did was make women run. Mm-hmm. And in record numbers, women are running for office. Yeah. And I think this is one of those catalyzing moments where I don't know exactly what the outcome of this is going to be. I don't, I don't have any tea leaves to read, but what I can say is that it feels important and it, it's impactful and people are paying attention to an issue that has long in the Democratic circle been one of those like, you know, the fourth rail, like it's just a thing we can't do anything about and there's just really nothing we can do. And this feels to me like, fuck that. There is something we can do and it's it's culminating and it's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's our job, by the way, 
<clears throat> these kids are amazing and inspiring and a lot of them can't vote. Yeah. So if you look at these kids and you think how amazing they are and how inspiring they are, the very least that you can do as a citizen of this country, as an adult, is to fucking vote for their right to live because they can't do it yet. So get off your ass and vote at the very it's the very least that you can do for these kids. They've come out and they've done their part and they've given their stories and they've told they've told you what they need. And they can't do it yet. So it's our job as adults to take that seriously and to take our responsibility to them seriously and to vote for people who will support common sense gun reform and change in gun laws in this country and to roundly reject anyone who is paid, bought and paid for by the NRA. You know, I try to apply the Josh test to yes, this. Yes, I always, uh, yes. Josh is Rachel's brother who is not very politically plugged in and, and is sort of like the loves to play the devil's advocate, uh, you know, sort of an independent, e- every man, suburban mm-hmm. father, father, white dude. He's a good guy, reasonable guy, but not plugged in susceptible to messaging. Yes. If he hears it enough, like most Americans. Yeah. Right? And, and this is not to yeah. say he's, he's a dumb guy, but no, he's, he's a, very smart. He's very smart. He's just not politically inclined. And he'll here. call when things come up, he'll call and he'll say, Hey, what do you think about this? But my point is this, right? We, we get very caught up in either our bubble or the other side or yes. thinking of the optics. And then we get fooled by the media because the media really loves contradictory stories. Yes. Especially in this age, they love pointing out these Republicans who hate Trump and are switching sides. But the the reality is when you look at the numbers, it's like 85 to 90 percent are just in lockstep with everything the GOP does and Trump, even if they get mad for a minute, like with the omnibus, which we'll get to. The reality is there are intractable people, right? There's us that are obviously have been supporting gun control for a long time and are obviously with these kids. There's the intractable second A, you know, two A gun huggers who are just, you know, yep. they're totally against it. But then you think of Josh and Josh absorbing this and then maybe he'll he'll get wind of this crazy NRA website guy. And, and you know, we, we know where he's going to fall. Josh is a gun guy. Yeah. He is. I mean, he is. He owns guns. He shoots guns. We grew up with guns. He likes guns. Yeah, but um, who, who is he going to relate to here? Right. But exactly. He, he, so he's got a six year old daughter, seven year old. daughter. Eight. Yes. Wow. Addie's eight. Okay. She. But no, even Josh, who is a gun guy. Right. Like. He's 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 an interesting sort of paradox because he's super liberal on some things and then not and independent on others and, and that's why I always we do the Josh test. But even Josh, who is a gun guy and not super politically plugged in, you know, he called me one day after this happened and we were talking about it and he even was like, "Look, man, I like the Second Amendment and I like my guns, but like it does seem to me that there are some things we could probably do." To make it this not happen all the time, right? And most gonna He's like, I don't feel, want the Second Amendment way. to go away, but like there's gotta be some stuff, Rach. And I'm like, absolutely. And he's like, I think some of it is a red herring. You know, I don't know that th- that many guns at gun shows are really gonna like that's it just seems like a like a red herring, the gun show loophole. Like, does it really is that really the problem is gun shows? I don't think so. He's like, I think it's a bigger problem than that. And he has some ideas about really long waiting periods and Maybe assault rifles shouldn't be in the hands of the, you know, so he's a reasonable guy. Mm-hmm. And that that's the group we got to target. 
right? The Joshes, the people who aren't intractable on our side or intractable on the other. Well, we, people tar- who we just... target them after we get the people we know who are our side registered and out to vote. Right. Yeah. But that's, I think, what they're doing. These kids, they're not going after the two heirs. They're going after people like Josh. And they're saying, yeah. you know, what if you somebody don't, you brought You don't a... want your daughter in the line of fire, do you? Right. Right. You want your daughter's teacher to have a gun? Does that make sense to you? Have yeah. you met her? <laughs> what? what, what? Well, you know, and you have to get coldly logical about this stuff, too. Take away this argument of some of the conservatives saying, you don't understand how much these these teachers love their kids and they take a bullet for them. It's like, take take all that out of the equation. The numbers are very simple. You have enough guns in enough of the general population. Accidents happen. Yes. They just do. And it's already happening because we already have, before this even happened, we had all these states with these lax gun laws and more teachers armed and people in schools armed. And, you know, Kagro does a good job of documenting all this. The accidents happen. And even kids get hurt. Last week or this week, I can't remember, there was a teacher who was doing um, a gun safety demonstration, demonstration yeah. in school. And there was a gun fail accident. It happens. The gun went off and it injured two students. I believe it went off and it hit the ceiling and a ceiling panel came down on a kid and like hurt his leg or something. It's just the law of averages, I mean, guys. doesn't matter the training. The, yeah, I'm an expert. The irony is sweet there, but that's not the point. No. It's the, the more guns that are present, the more accidents are going to happen. Not to yes. mention yeah. what we talked about last week, which was... When guns are available, it's an option. And when guns aren't available, it isn't. Yeah. So any closing thoughts on today, the the March for Our Lives? I, just that I, God, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little speechless because I just, I'm in awe. I really am in awe of these kids and of, of. I just think what they're doing is extraordinary. Yeah. And Emma Gonzalez is my hero. And uh, can I say one thing that I'm hesitant to say, but I'm worried about? All right. I'm worried because they are teenagers. Yeah. And they've been thrust into the national spotlight. Yes. And everything they're doing is wonderful. And... Teenagers are teenagers. Yes. And I'm really worried that, you know, they make mistakes and they do dumb shit. And I'm concerned that, you know, one of them's going to go to a party and get drunk and it's going to be on the front page. I'm worried about yeah. them being eaten up and now. taken apart yeah. and, and eaten alive by the spotlight and the media and, and their the kids, so other side. As they are with this. They don't know what they don't know right. about life in general. And I would just urge everybody to remember that they're humans, they're humans and they're human teenagers. And they're also dealing with PTSD. And so if, and when one of these kids does something stupid or makes a mistake and it gets, gets splashed all over the tabloids all and all over the New York Times and the Washington Post. If we could please remember to have some fucking compassion and to realize that these are just kids and they're going to do something dumb and that does not make their message different. It doesn't dilute what they're trying to do. It doesn't make them bad people. It does not give us the right to criticize them or to tear them apart. And I would just urge everybody to remember that because I'm 
just waiting for yeah. that to happen and I'm I'm it's going to be really hard when I, it does. I've thought about that too and you're right. And and I also worry about them just <clears throat> cracking at some point some of them because they yeah. haven't had a chance to breathe. Like you said it's only been about a month. Yeah. And it's been nonstop. Yeah. on their quest. Yeah. And and, and again they they don't know how to like pace themselves or step back because a, they are kids Mm -hmm. and B like they're driven for a good cause. Yes. But their lack of life experience means they don't know what they don't know as savvy as they are in terms of social media and messaging and understanding the political climate. Right. Life is still a lesson you, you can only learn by living it. And they, I desperately hope that they are privately getting the help that they need to recover from this trauma and to process this trauma. And I wish we lived in a world where when something happens, we don't tear them apart, but we don't. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just want to crawl inside their brains and say, please get help. Please talk to someone. Please Self-care. take care of yourself. Self-care. Take care of yourself. Yeah. And what you're doing is extraordinary. And I'm so fucking proud of you. And, much and of I it couldn't... is cathartic. And, yeah. And we get that. And it's wonderful. And I'm so fucking proud of you, but please take care of yourselves. And remember too, you don't owe anybody anything, right? You don't owe us anything. You don't have to do anything. Your first priority and your first responsibility is to take care of yourselves and to make sure that you're okay. Yeah. And that's what I would want to say to them if I had a chance. Okay, so uh, moving on from there, uh, what do we want to talk about first, the omnibus or Bolton? God, let's do Bolton. <laughs> you first. Fuck. <laughs> so congrats, Susan Sarandon, Jill Stein, and all the- uh, Gary cool Johnson. Holdouts screaming about how Hillary is a warmonger and Trump will be better because he's not an ideologue and blah, blah, blah. Now you have John fucking Bolton as the national security advisor. Uh, if you don't know who John Bolton is, other than the guy with the bad mustache, oh boy, look him up. Uh, he's a literal crazy person. He physically harasses and chases his underlings around the office and berates them. He believes in a first strike policy. He thinks you can win a nuclear war. He doesn't believe in the United Nations, even though he was uh, nominated as ambassador to the United Nations. He's a crazy person. He is. He's basically a, the architect of the Iraq War. Um, one of them. One of them. He so he worked for George W. Bush back in the good old days. And even Bush regrets that now. Yeah, and you know times are scary right now, and I would argue that they are scarier than they were then. But back then. Uh, Back in the aughts, when George G.W. was the president, John Bolton was like the Antichrist. I mean, he was so fucking terrifying. We, I remember thinking, how can this person, how can this person be in government? How can this person be advising the president? How can, how? Like, he's evil. And now we have a less, well, we don't, I mean, I don't even know how to, talk about Trump in relation to G.W. Bush, but we have a less stable, crazy person as a president and an H.R. McMaster's gone and he hired fucking John Bolton. It's it's a nightmare wrapped in a nightmare. 
I don't even know. Yeah, and people still don't understand. They're like, okay, so this is this hawkish guy in a mustache. Hawkish, why? Maybe maybe there'll be more rhetoric. Uh, We fear it's going to be far more than rhetoric. Way more. That's exactly right. That has been itching for a war with Iran for some time. He may be interested in a first strike war with North Korea. This is a guy that honestly believes diplomacy is somewhat obsolete and and force and might is really the only objective to get what you want. Now it's not he didn't invent that. There have been uh, people who have felt that way throughout the history of international relations. Most of the time, they are in a position of power. It is disastrous. Yes. Um, you know, we used to talk about McMaster, and people were concerned about these generals, sort of right having the president's ear. But what I always said, and you and I have talked about, was at very least the generals understand what war is. They know what it looks like. They know what the cost of it is. They know what it feels like. They understand the loss. They understand the chaos and the tragedy that is war. Yeah, to my to my knowledge, and I might be wrong about this. I don't know that John Bolton was ever in combat. I don't believe he was, and I'm going to look that up. I think he was always been a civilian. But I agree. I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, sorry. But uh, this this is where we are. The guy is is a nutcase, and I don't say that lightly. I feel like the reason I. I want to believe that he has never served um, is because he is so... The most hawkish types. Yeah. Well, that's not always true. There, there, there are plenty of guys who have served who are also warmongerish, hawkish. You think of, you know, Curtis LeMay and, and, and people like that. You know, they, they did fight and they did serve. And a lot of them still have that attitude. But yeah, a lot of the chicken hawks, you know, when you talk about Dick Cheney and a lot of the, you know, right wing pundits, and these are people that never served or dodged the draft. Trump himself, you know, with his bone spurs, keeping him from the draft in Vietnam, which conservatives really used to care about. Remember, they hated Bill Clinton because he was a draft dodger because he went to college instead of Vietnam. And that was right. a big deal. And right. Uh, so it looks like he did serve. Oh, um, so my in the, bad about that. Mine too, but hold on. I just want to. He was in the Maryland Army National Guard. Oh, okay. So National never Guard. mind. Whatever. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not shitting on the National no, Guard. No, 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 at no. all. Oh, I'm, I'm saying I. And he may have seen. However, combat. maybe I don't know I don't, if he's too young for Vietnam. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure how old Bolton is. To a certain Vietnam, you'd have to be about 70, and I guess he could be about that age. So I he is 69 years old. Yeah, he is married. Uh, Wonderful. He has one child. Went to Yale. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the United States ambassador to the UN <laughs> um, as a recess appointment by yes, W. Because they because they couldn't get confirmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was unlikely to win confirmation uh, in the Senate, obviously. <laughs> no. And this is in the post-9-11 world. Yes. Um, he's been a Fox News Channel commentator, which we were talking about this earlier. Right. Let's talk about that. Uh, um, the, the one possible saving grace, and, and, and I say this only half uh, sarcastically, is that now that he's going to be actually serving and face-to-face with Trump in the Oval Office, does Trump still listen to him? Like right. it was really fun listening to him when he was on the on the telly telly, um, you know. Right when he's yelling and screaming on Fox News about, you know, that's fucking fun. Obama is a Muslim and let's bomb everybody. <laughs> yeah, and, that, that that's fun. But mm-hmm. then like you have to sit down and have like boring policy 
talks and make plans and it's like oh that's boring he's gonna tune out like this is literally what he did with mcmaster it's coming out now that he would like mcmaster would try to talk to him about important policy stuff and make nuanced arguments right trump would literally mock him like start going blah 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 blah. blah, you're so so boring boring. why are you so serious all the time (laughs) like seriously he literally said that why are you so serious all the time this is boring It's boring. So now we get Larry Kudlow and John Bolton because they they say fun, mean things on the TVs. Let's get them in here. That'll be fun. Yeah, but now like uh, now that they are in person, <laughs> I, you might just tune out. You might just be like, God, you two. Why is everyone so boring? Uh, who else is on the TV? Hannity. And and, and his, his lawyer, uh, DeGeneva, is yeah. also a TV guy. Of yeah. course, because he, he couldn't get another lawyer at this right. point. Because uh, well, that happened this week, too. John Dowd. Uh, John quit. Dowd quit. He sure did. We're going to get to that more in the second half with the with the Russia stuff. But, um, yeah, McMaster bored him and probably contradicted him on some stuff. It was very, very hard on Russia, too, which that that's a pattern we're seeing. Everybody right. As who, soon as he said something bad about Russia, he got Everybody's too fired. outspoken to Russia finds their way out the door, whether it's Tillerson or McMaster. Um and, and and there is a lot of I still have a feeling Kelly's next at some point, which there was rumors that if Kelly goes, he's just not going to have a chief of staff because chief of, chiefs of staff tell him what to do. And he's really he doesn't sick like of that. that. So he'll be his own chief of staff or maybe <laughs> or maybe it'll be a Fox News. You laugh, but this is the thing, right? Like, oh. The media still hasn't the every time he does something, the media is still they get there with this quizzical Tucker Carlson look and they and they ask why is he doing this and like we've kind of figured out like because it's what he feels at the moment the only thing he cares about is instant gratification there there's no broader idea or plan or if it seems that way it's incidental um he just like and i don't want to say it's refreshing it is different like He's not a politician, but he he doesn't he doesn't even stop and think five minutes ahead. It's just I feel this way right now. It might might not make any rational sense. It might completely contradict what I'm actually trying to do and might be completely self-defeating. But I feel it. So I'm going to tweet it or I'm going to say it or I'm going to do it and whatever. Right. No, exactly. Um, Okay. just quickly to wrap up Bolton before we go to break. Here are some political positions that are interesting. Oh. Libya. Bolton was an opponent of the deal that George W. made with Muammar Gaddafi to eliminate the country's weapons of mass destruction program. Mm-hmm. He was in a key role during the initial negotiations, but his role became limited over time. According to a 2005 study, Bolton was intentionally kept out of the loop so that a final agreement could be reached. (laughs) Quote, Bolton reportedly was unaware of the December 19th WMD agreement until very shortly after before its public announcement. Don't tell Bolton. And after initially being given a lead role in implementing it, he pushed so hard to backtrack from the agreement that the British convinced the Bush administration to restrict his involvement in the Libya matter. Yeah, really glad you brought that guy on. That made sense. Iraq. Bolton supported the U.S. invasion of Iraq and toppled that toppled the regime of Saddam Hussein. That doesn't make him special. North Korea and Iran. He's advocated for preemptive strikes against North Korea and Iran. In 2008, <laughs> Bolton said, quote, the idea here is not to have much larger hostilities, but to stop the Iranians from engaging in the hostilities that they're already doing against us 
inside Iraq. And they're doing much the same by aiding the Taliban in Afghanistan. So this is not provocative or preemptive. This is entirely responsive on our part. Uh, can I, can I, in 2018, can, Bolton on, stated, can I jump in real yeah. quick on Iran? And I'm not going to be able to get to it probably this episode, but if we were to go to war with Iran, especially preemptively, um, it's not just, oh, that's bad because war is bad. There is a very, very delicate balance that we have in the Middle East right now in terms of Israel, in terms of our partners in the Arab world. Like mm-hmm. your uncle just thinks that all the Muslims are our enemies, but the reality <laughs> is we have lots, for better or for worse in many cases, we have lots of allies in the Middle East. And if we were to attack Iran... So much of that would be in danger of completely crumbling. Well, that's what happened when we went into Iraq. Saddam Hussein, in large part, was holding a very delicate balance of power over there. And when we took him out, it created a vacuum, which caused a lot of problems. The second time around. Correct. The first time around, most of the world was very afraid of Saddam. Yes. And, And they sided with us. Well, that's because H.W. Bush went in, but did the whole Kuwait thing, right? But he decided to get a bunch of countries in the region to form a coalition even with the Syria. United States. Even Syria. Yes. Before doing anything, he said, hey, you guys are there. What do you think? Let's get together. And he did. Syria, and it was, Saudi Arabia, yeah. Iran more or less stayed out of it. Yep. And that, and was, it was, that was tricky. Short-lived. It was good. Yeah. He did a good job. And it had, then it his had son a came in goal. And just fucking... And the rest of the Arab world said, why are you, why are you doing this? Saddam has been neutered. We took care of that. Yes. And um, then they became very suspicious for a good reason and said, this this feels like a power grab. W was like, they tried to kill my dad. Yeah. It, but so, anyway, we're anyway, not going to relitigate that. Sure. Anyway, John Bolton, he's very... Yeah. Uh, in 2018... Uh, he stated, quote, Russia, China, here's all the countries he wants to go to war with. This should be fun. <laughs> Russia, China, Syria, Iran, North Korea. These are regimes that make agreements and lie about them. A national security policy that is based on the faith that regimes like that will honor their commitments is doomed to failure. Well, he's going to change his tune on Russia or he'll be out the door quick. Right. I'm in sure 20, he understands that. Right, Russia. In 2013, after Edward Snowden had been granted asylum in Russia, Bolton said, quote, I think in order to focus Putin's thinking, we need to do things that cause him pain. And while I know that not having a chance to have a bilateral meeting with his buddy Barack Obama will cause Putin to yeah, lose sleep, it's funny. not damaging Russian interests. So he's half right? <laughs> Leia, watch. Keep your eye on the tough stance on Russia. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that's part of if there was any thinking on Trump's part, maybe it's you know, hey, this guy's been tr- tough on Russia. So uh-huh. maybe that'll that's good for optics. Maybe that's good for optics. Yeah. But Russian, I, I doubt he thought that far. Russian Senator Alexei Pushkov, chairman of the State Duma Committee on International Affairs, said after Bolton's appointment, quote, Bolton, along with Bush, Cheney, and Rumsfeld, was an ardent supporter of the war in Iraq a supporter of jihadists for the sake of overthrowing Bashar al-Assad, a great specialist in interventions and aggression and adept at the use of force. McMaster is a general. Bolton is the ideologue of a new Cold War, a convinced opponent of Russia. Yeah, I agree with parts of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy is fucking scary. He's scary in ways that I... It's a nightmare. 
It's it's sort of for me akin to like Jeff Sessions being the head of the DOJ in some ways. Like it's really the worst is. possible choice. And Bolton is going to go head to head with Madison Kelly very quickly, and we're going to have to see who wins that. Uh, I, again, what's going to be very telling is if is Bolton going to play along with Easy on Russia? It, but uh, like, I think he's he knows one of he those conservative to. Republican hawks that like. How does he square that? How does he go into the Trump White House and be like, no, Russia's fine? Like, that's the antithesis of everything his entire life has been based on. That would be shocking to me. Yeah, but he knows who Donald Trump is, and he went in and and interviewed for the job. He knows what the job entails. He wants power, though. But he's seriously, John fucking Bolton is seriously going to be like, Russia's fine. I wouldn't worry about that. He'll calculate. He said, if I can get my war with Iran and or North Korea, I'll go easy on Russia for the time being. Why not? That's, That's insane. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're yeah. going to talk about the giant omnibus bill that was passed and some of the drama surrounding that mm-hmm. and latest on all the uh, Russia shenanigans, which haven't gone away, of course. And, and the transgender military thing. And we've got a lot to talk about. And Stormy Daniels is on 60 Minutes tomorrow. Woohoo. Don't go anywhere. still has a headache yeah and we're just a little bit of a mess today reminder that break music is brought to you by married a dead man my band our debut album will be coming out june 30th you can find us on married uh or on facebook which i refuse to use anymore but for the band it's still there facebook.com slash married a dead man and other places and whatever what a ringing endorsement i will we don't have anything to sell yet (laughs) we will in a few months we'll have merch and crap and i will hawk it yes on this show yes and you will buy it because it's great uh anyway uh a giant omnibus spending bill was passed and signed into law i guess begrudgingly by the president (laughs) uh, who threatened to veto it Uh, $1.3 trillion. There's a lot to unpack here. I, uh, it, it's almost um, silly and redundant for me to say I don't know all of what's in it to make a judgment because nobody in Congress nor the president know what's in it. Nope. Didn't go through the committee. The Congress has been destroyed essentially by Mitch McConnell and before that Newt Gingrich. So they didn't do the normal committee process to discuss the varying terms of it. They just rushed it and signed it. 
it's this giant stack of papers that no one's read that they voted on because party. So fine. Hey, it looks like Denver. Oh, hey, it is Denver on the TV. Hey, Denver's on that. the TV. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, they are at Civic Center Park. Civic Center Park, which is right in the middle of downtown Denver. A few blocks from where I used to live. Yep. And, and oh, that's it. Okay. Well, we saw it for a second. Anyway, um, this giant bill, there was a lot in it that uh, Democrats are happy with. So they're sort of doing victory lap A to troll Trump, B to tell their constituents, hey, despite this horrible, awful makeup of Congress and the White House, we're, we're getting stuff done. Like we still know how to govern and they don't. Well, so we got this omnibus bill with a bunch of shit we wanted and they didn't. Yeah, well, but, yeah, so this is what's important. Remember a few months ago when the budget wish list of the Trump administration came out, a lot of people were really horrified because it did things like drastically cut CDC and slash national parks and uh, different healthcare things and all these horrible draconian, yeah, awful garbage like Paul Ryan wet dream things. Yes. And virtually none of that came to pass. I'm not saying none of it. Uh, some of it did. There are some shitty things in this omnibus, but like a but lot. But it's of, kind of extraordinary that a lot, most of that stuff didn't end up in this bill that it, was passed by a Republican Congress and signed by the president. Like the Democrats, kind of won in certain ways. Yes, you know there, there are some gross things and bad things that went in. There are some. Things that were further attacks on the ACA, and uh, Joan McCarter explained some of that pretty well on Kegro's show yesterday, if you want to go back and listen to it. Susan Collins has proven to be just an absolute awful liar and a garbage person, because remember, her whole thing with signing the, the gross tax bill was that she got these assurances from Mitch McConnell. Oh, wow, Denver is totally packed. Wow. Uh, to get these assurances from Mitch McConnell, there would be these ACA protections right. and the spending bill. And these then, promises that she says she got, and then not only did she not get them, she turned around and basically admitted yesterday, like, yeah, that really wasn't a thing. I was going to sign the tax bill anyway. So she's just she's garbage. I mean, look, the the fact is, when you have an R next to your name, this is kind of where you what you're about. Yeah, when you come down to it. Yep. I'm sorry. I, I wish that wasn't the case, but they keep proving me right. Yep. Uh, in any event. <laughs> so the Republican Congress trying to avoid a government shutdown. Yes. Passed this omnibus bill. Yeah. And Trump. <laughs> well, should we go back and talk yes. about Rish from Idaho almost gummed up the whole works? Because yeah, I don't know a lot about that, but I heard something about that. So okay, tell so, me the story. So there was some drama late Thursday night <laughs> uh, when they were getting ready to, to vote on it that uh, Senator Jim Rish from Idaho was going to hold it up because some one of his house colleagues from Idaho had slipped in the bill naming this giant nature preserve after uh, governor, former Idaho Governor Cecil Andrus, who recently passed away, who worked for the Department of the Interior under the Carter administration, had had two stints, I believe, as governor of Idaho. And he was a big, big, big con conservationist, and he's a big guy protecting federal land right. uh, from drilling and all other things. Big, beautiful, pristine lands. And Rish didn't have a problem with him about that. Rish had a personal beef with him going back. Yeah, they were like arch rivals or something, right? Yeah, they had from a lot like, of 
from going back decades. Right, like the 80s or something. They had some sort of so Rish, beef or feud, and, and he was like, no. And he just died like a month ago. Yeah. Or maybe, or not maybe a month ago, but recently. He just died, and Rish just couldn't stand. You can't name something after him. So I hate he was, him. he was literally going to hold up the whole bill over this. And, and I don't know what the compromise was, but that's how petty mm-hmm. some of these folks are. Yeah. And, and Joan McCarter from Idaho went on a good rant about this as well on Kegro <laughs> Show if you want to hear the details. But anyway, so they they got past that. <laughs> and then this is literally what happened, guys. Stay with me here. Because you're not, it's going to be hard to believe, but this is... This is not me. We're not trolling you or making this up. This is So late at night, Paul Ryan gave Trump the outline of what they came up with, which, by the way, there's virtually no funding for the border wall. Right. It's like a couple million bucks. Well, there's there's existing improvements on some things and like improving some fencing, but it's nothing. It's not his wall. Well, and there's a a restriction that says he's not allowed to build a a concrete um, structure. Right. Right. Like not allowed to. So they actually <laughs> screwed up. In the bill says you are not allowed to build a anything made of concrete in the shape of a wall on the Mexican well, border. Well, we know he didn't read it, obviously. Well, nobody read it. Right. But we're finding this out because the media has been like. Now they're digging through digging it. Digging through it and finding these weird things <laughs> that nobody knew was in it. <laughs> so many goodies to uncover. Yeah. But anyway, <clears throat> so this is literally what happened. Late Thursday night, Trump gives Paul Ryan his, his assurances. Yeah, I'll sign it. Trump wakes up in the morning, turns on Fox and Friends. He gets up at like 3 a.m., you know. No, not that early, 5 or 6. But anyway, he turns on Fox and Friends, and there's a guy on there, I forget his name, who's just trashing the bill, saying how bad it is, how many giveaways to Democrats they are. And it's true. There's, It's and not it, bad. It's just there's a bunch yeah. of shit Democrats got. Yeah. So, so, so Trump... <laughs> Jumps on the Twitter and goes, you know what? I just might veto this bill. It kind of sucks. I don't like this bill. I'm going to veto it. Yeah. Thinking about it. Thinking about it. Thinking about it. Now, why that's hilarious is for several reasons. One, because it came like literally a few minutes after the white, the official White House statement was this is doing this the is typical so great. spin. Yeah, this is a great bill. This is a huge win for huge us. Huge win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look at the Trump, administration. We Trump is going to have a signing ceremony. Yep. We did this great thing. So we amazing. avoided the shutdown and we got yeah. all these wonderful things. Make so, America so, great. Look at him with all of his wins. Yeah, doing their mm-hmm. job. Typical yep. spin. Yeah. Yeah. And he, so he literally turns around and he says, And I'm he's like, like yeah, yeah, fuck I it. I no. don't like it. I might veto it. No. Uh, and then, so there, that's interesting. Secondly, everybody had left town. <laughs> they got the hell out of town because of this. Yes. That we're seeing because on the of TV. the March for Our Lives. They didn't really. want to be anywhere near it. Nope. And so they would have all had to rush back into town and, and essentially, I guess, like try to fight their way through the kids protesters to get to the Capitol. <laughs> to- to override, to a Trump override veto. a veto of his own bill. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I, Mr. President. We're going to override your veto of your own bill. Uh, but I, first, we got to wade through a bunch of angry young people who want us to do something about guns. <laughs> we don't know if we can do it in time. Traffic's awful. Oh. Anyway, I knew the second I read it, no, we're not going to veto it. But. But he literally watched Fox and Friends and was like, hey, you know, this this isn't what I say. Fox and Friends says it's bad. Fuck it. I'm going to veto it. Right. Right. Which which goes back to the fact that the the only thing that motivates or informs this guy is what he sees on television. 
Um, so he didn't veto it, but he did like do but a signing statement where he basically trashed the bill. Hold on. So the reason that he didn't veto it is because he was he had a vacation scheduled to Mar a Lago this weekend. And some staffers told him that if he vetoed this bill, it would He's cause a government blamed. shutdown yeah. and that would be really bad for optics. And according to multiple White House sources in the Washington Post, he said, fuck that. And then signed the bill so that he could go to Mar-a-Lago. Signed the bill while saying this bill sucks. Literally, he told his staffer, fuck that. And then he like, fuck it, I'll just sign Fuck it. Fuck that. Sign it. So, Literally no care. So, no fucks given <laughs> about policy or anything else. So if you're thinking, what is the benefit if the president trashes his... Remember, we, we forget this, but both part, both chambers... Uh, you the know, entire government is controlled by Republicans. Is his party. So his party spent, he trashes his own party spending bill and the bill he signed. And what does that gain him? And the answer is there is no logic. No. He he got angry when somebody on Fox and Fred said the bill was bad. And so he lashed out and then he carried that tantrum over to signing the bill. Yeah. And so what does that do for him or Congress or the Republicans? Nothing. It doesn't help, but he doesn't care. No. No. He doesn't care, is obvious. He cares that he doesn't want to get shit for going to Mar-a-Lago. He doesn't want to get shit for signing a bad bill either, but... But he doesn't... It's like, you know, he's sort of like, you know, I wish it was just... Can they? Maybe he should just take over Fox News and say, you can't say bad things... About something I have to do. Right? Maybe that should be the new rule. Fox and Friends is not allowed to say bad things about anything that affects the president because it hurts his mood and right. he might lash out on Twitter. That's that's tough for them. Uh, like, how, how do they square when Schumer and, and others are doing a dance in the end zone after yeah. getting a bunch of stuff they wanted in an omnibus? Right. And Fox turning. I mean, they could do that and turn around and say, well, this is actually a great win for the president and they can cherry pick a couple things in there. Well, they tried to do that. And then he was like, this is fucking garbage, Bill. No, and Fox didn't do that. I mean, it was no, his right. staff tried yeah, to do that. Right, right. I don't know. So I, I'm imagine I, working for this White House. I can't imagine right working for this man. I work for some difficult men, but I can't imagine working for this man. So over the coming days and weeks, you know, when we're not distracted by everything else, we're, we might actually find out what's in this bill. Yeah. I think the text of it is online now. Yeah. So if we, we might dig through it if we get bored. So if you want to find <laughs> out what's in this $1.3 trillion spending bill, mm-hmm. go that, online and see. Maybe you'll yeah. uncover some some real gems. Maddo did a good to. piece last night about how there's this odd um, Russian sanctions yeah, part. So, and nobody knows who so slipped it in. there's this Russian sanctions section. It's a five-page section of this, like, you know, thousand of pages of this bill mm-hmm. that includes sanctions against Russia. And... The weird thing about that is no one's claiming it. (laughs) No one knows who put it in the bill. No one's claiming responsibility for it. I hope McCain did. No one knows whose idea it was or who wrote it or why it's in there. Literally no one read the bill to the point where this is, yeah, this is totally how government's supposed to function. We find this five page 
piece of a bill that includes Russian sanctions. And when you say, who put this in there? Nobody says, hey, it's me. And nobody knows. And nobody knows. And they I mean, signed we'll it anyway. No one eventually. even. I don't know who. I, <sighs> Somebody staff nobody even will leak. Literally. I'm sorry. The Congress. <laughs> voted on a thing they didn't read, which I know is a thing you've heard a lot of times. But just think about that for a minute. Think about what that means. It didn't go through the normal processes because we're in the upside down. Mm-hmm. No one read it to the point that we don't even know what's in it. They don't know what's in it. And we don't even know who to point to to say, hey, this really weird thing is in here. Who did that? The only thing we know. No is one. That, but everyone voted on it anyway. The it's only done. thing we know is that enough members of Congress got very specific things they wanted in it. Yes. To vote yes on it. Yep. And to avoid the rest of it is literally just avoid, funding the government and to avoid and, shutting down the government. And it's just a bill about I don't know the budget of the federal government. That doesn't seem super important because, to know what the details are. Because it's fine. Uh, what, what what we've also learned, and the Democrats need to learn to leverage this, is that um, ultimately. Trump and the Freedom Caucus, for all their big talk about how they welcome a shutdown, they don't want a shutdown. No. They are scared of that. And yeah. And they get more and more scared of it as we get closer to November. Democrats are scared, too. We went through this with the DACA thing. Another thing that was very perverse was that mm. Trump's excuse for wanting, wanting to, veto to veto it mm-hmm. was that there was nothing for the DACA recipients. Again, forget we're trying to forget like that he got rid of DACA. Yeah, or tried to get rid of DACA. Uh, and, and if you don't know, it's the courts basically pushed that out to where, for the time being, it's easy for us to say, but for the time being, DACA recipients and new uh, applicants are safe on a very tentative basis. On the for the time being, which is not. Any way to live. No, it no, it isn't. No, it isn't. But it, it's also, and, and there's some cynical leverage that Democrats feel they have with this to say, we have control of Congress. We can finally fix this after November. Right. And the courts have now pushed that out till there's time for that now. Yeah. ICE, ICE can't run and start deporting DACA recipients before November, which was the big fear. I know we feared it. Yes. Well, so, and we... So, so did the DACA so, recipients. So while Trump is trying to gin up that pressure that he doesn't really have the leverage to do that, and Democrats understand that, there's also now, before November, Republicans are also scared of a shutdown. So they could do something on DACA. They probably won't, though. They'll probably play it safe mm-hmm. and just say, hey, yeah, we can fix DACA, but we need control of Congress. I mean... Which is true. Right. And I wanted to say something. You know, we talked last week about my concerns about this time between now and November being kind of a dangerous time for our democracy, for the possibility of a constitutional crisis, for the idea that once November happens, everyone's very aware that should the Democrats take control of any single house or both, um, it's really over for Republicans. And I got a little flack about it, um, about being a little hyperbolic, but I read a piece in, I think it was The Atlantic, which I'm not saying they're always the best, Ooh, but... they just hired a horrible garbage person. I know, person. I know. But sort of 
mirroring my sentiment Mm -hmm. that this is a really dangerous time when you have a president who is a demagogue and you have a party who has abandoned all loyalty to the constitution um, and and all loyalty to the country in favor of political um, and ideological gains. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm concerned about it, but I did get some shit about being a little bit, over the top and then I don't know some people kind of agree with me and are well, writing big pieces and big news stories about like yeah. this is a possibility and it's something that we should be careful about because to to that end can can we disabuse ourselves of the notion that just because you show a basic level of political incompetence or you're sort of unhinged in you're disorganized doesn't mean you can't be very dangerous and do very nefarious right. things this is like the right. Blake Hounsel logic in that I, it's hard for me to believe Trump colluded with Russia because his he's so campaign stupid. was so incompetent. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like you don't need competence no. for a foreign bad actor to come and say, I can do this quid pro quo for you and you to just say yes. Yep. I mean, like where, where where do you need this sophisticated level of, of competence to say for a bad guy to say, I want to do this thing for you and you to utter the word yes. Right. I mean, it's, it's you yourself. Simple. You yourself do not have to be competent or smart or clever or, or or anything. Or run all a, you have a to do scheme. is say yes to yeah. something that helps you. That's right. And someone else can be all of those things for you. That's right. And we know it wasn't complicated or well structured, or the tracks were well covered. We're learning that every single day. So I, I I don't understand why you would even start with that logic. And it's that same logic where we had with, well, Trump is horrible, but Hillary would be more dangerous because Trump is actually so incompetent. Well, no, he, he just hired John nothing, fucking Bolton. It has nothing to do with the man. I mean, it, it does, but these things are not just... The president doesn't... It's not a vacuum, right? He He's surrounded by... People, whether they be U.S. citizens or Russians, um, that are incredibly clever and technologically savvy and politically savvy and uh, dirty as fuck and mobbed up and all the things. He doesn't have to be smart or clever or interesting or witty or anything. All he has to do five dimensional chess. No, all he has to do is say, sure, help me. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Whatever you think. Let's just make sure that, you know. And and it's kind of mind boggling not to see that. Like he still is the commander in chief of the world's largest military. And we know there have already been military operations that have gone bad that he's been at the helm for. Yeah. So you you think he's not competent enough to get us into a disastrous war based on what? I mean, anyone who's spent any time working for executives at any level whether it be in the private practice or in um, the public sector, understands that executives uh, fall into a couple of different categories, but almost without question, um, without exception, rather. Executives are people who do a couple of things really well and everything else is left to the people that surround them. Um, And that's not different here, right? So... Working for a CEO or a partner in a law firm or, uh, you know, the head of this government department or whatever. These are executives. These are people who 
with the exception of Trump, I would say, um, are really good at a couple of things and they leave everything else, all of the details, right? All of the details are left to people that support them. And Trump is no different, except he's not good at anything. He's good at two things. I'll get to that in a second when you're done. Yeah. So it stands to reason for me, having worked for executives for a long time, that, you know, I don't think he's particularly good at much and you're going to give me two examples of what he is good at but I but the details and and the the day-to-day operations of his presidency and the day-to-day operations of planning for strategizing and and figuring out how to make this presidency functional and figuring out how to retain power for him and figuring all of that out isn't Trump isn't involved in any of that and that's not unusual it's unusual that he doesn't understand any of it but it's not unusual that he's not in charge of it or he doesn't He's not running that show. That's just not how it works. The people that are around you deal with the details and you're generally in charge of like the high level sign off. Yes, that's a good idea. No, that's not a good idea. And the details are left to everyone else. Okay, it's actually three things. right? Okay. Trump's good at three things. Trump is good at branding and self promotion. (laughs) Yes. So put him on (laughs) par with a chick from the Jersey Shore show. Okay. Mm -hmm. In that respect. Number two. Trump is very good at leveraging banks when his businesses fail who have already dumped so much investment for now why they did that in the first place is probably goes back to point one. Mop, mop, mop. Well, I haven't even got to that yet, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's sort of good at the self branding. So at well, a that's cert- what I was going to say. It goes back to point one. Well, hold on a second, because what happens is. Trump has these failed investments, a failed casino, a failed hotel, a failed (laughs) Trump vodka company, whatever it is, and then going back to the banks and getting a shitload more money from them by basically pointing out, if this goes under, you lose everything. Yeah. And and I, I, I know how to use the bankruptcy laws to where you'll be fucked. However, if you loan me so many more million dollars, it can keep me afloat and you have a chance of getting some of your money back. Right. He's good at that. He's also good at turning that around perversely on the people he owes money to. Yes. Be it contractors or state mm-hmm. governments or or municipal governments in saying, I owe you this X amount of money, but I'm not going to pay it. So you take you can take pennies on the dollar or you can fight me in court and spend and I'll millions drag it you out don't for, have and I'll drag you out forever. And you'll and you, pay more than I ever owed you. Yeah. <laughs> And, they, and I'll out I'll 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 drag it out as long as I have to because I have the money to do it and you don't. So he's good at so he's good at those two things. He's yeah. good at finagling banks yeah. into loaning him a shitload more money so they don't lose all of their initial investment. Mm-hmm. And he's good at screwing over the people he owes money to in these projects or mm-hmm. other projects by threatening endless litigation. That's what he's right. good at. By stiffing them and yeah. then when they decide to sue saying fine fuck it and, and he's good at using his name as branding yes which that those days unfortunately are over he's really fucked yeah. that i would think yeah especially when you talk about what's going on in panama right now which we haven't even got to uh that's what he's good at yeah and and, and good at laundering money that's not hard it, that's actually well, and really, i don't even think he's good at laundering money he's just good no, 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 at no, no, being no. the head of the thing that people launder money through sure he's saying, i don't think he's that smart he's saying you you can use my name as an investment in this property and then you can you can flip it or resell it or it can go down the shitter but using this real estate is a way to turn your mob 
rubles mm-hmm. into U.S. dollars. Right. And he's he's right. been happy to do that for decades, yep. as has Kushner and Ivanka and his whole circle. Yep. And and that is the shit he's really scared of. And that is the shit that Mueller is really digging into and why it's going to take a while, because there's a lot of dots to connect there. Yes. And it doesn't matter if he tries to fire Mueller because you have the New York AG on in on this now. It is that that is where. Look, it goes back to Watergate. Follow the money. Follow the money. And that's, that's still always that is why when he said uh, my red line, my hard line with Mueller is if he starts to look into my finances, yeah. because that has nothing to do with Russia, which is sort of like saying, please don't look in my email that I'm cheating for evidence that I'm cheating on you because it's for <laughs> sure not in there. Please do not check my text messages because I'm definitely not cheating on you. And there are definitely no text messages from my lover to me that you could see. It doesn't exist. Don't look. And if you do, I'll be super mad at you because it's not there. That's a perfect segue because uh, we have one of the Playboy models that he had an affair with go on Anderson Cooper the other night. I don't think it was Anderson Cooper. That's who's going to interview Stormy Daniels. No, that's 60 Minutes. Yeah, but Anderson Cooper's doing the 60 Minutes, which is interesting. I oh. I know. I, don't remember, I hardly ever well, watch 60 Minutes. I don't anymore. ever. but And I did not watch her interview with him. Um, I didn't because I didn't. She's kind of a garbage person, to be honest. Um, I got a couple highlights. Uh, so we're going to speak about, you haven't seen it either, right? The interview? No, and it kind of fell flat and everybody kind of shrugged because. But I, we're going to be speaking about this from just. For transparency well, purposes, well, we no. haven't watched it, so oh, yeah. I don't know exactly what happened. But, the, but Stor- the Stormy Daniels interview will be big because it involves Michael Cohen and payoffs, right? And threats. But that's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. The one that has already happened, neither of us watched. But Trump, Trump is going to try to preempt it with a big announcement of some kind. Oh yeah. Rachel Maddow thinks it'll be a fun part, and I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's what it's going to be. Well, I think her, that's an ace in the hole. For her. Right um, I thought it was interesting on her show last night. We were watching it, and she was saying the last time um, that something like this was coming down the pipe was when he fired McMaster, right? Yeah. So it's just in lockstep with how he does things. When something big and salacious is going to come out, he'll do something um, sort of governmentally or policy-wise or something that takes actual attention that should be, you know, like, oh, there's a government thing happening, right? Yeah, or to take it away from the salacious. Right? Right. Like maybe he'll do an executive order that certain drug dealers will get the death penalty, which, of course, will never get right. into law or whatever. Right. But he's going to do something Tomorrow afternoon, he's going to announce something, probably, to try to distract everybody. Yes. From Mar-a-Lago. So get ready for that. But I think plenty of people will still tune into Stormy Daniels anyway. And, of course, that'll the fallout from that will all be covered. Uh, you wanted to move to the late last night transgender ban I do. announced? Yeah, I do. Um, so... I'm just going to read some of this story from the Washington Post because it's so um, fucked. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, President Trump issued an order late Friday. That would have been the 22nd, I guess. Um, that supports a ban on many transgender troops deferring to a new Pentagon plan that essentially cancels a policy adopted by the Obama administration. The decision revokes a full ban that Trump issued last summer, 
but disqualifies U.S. troops who have had gender reassignment surgery, as recommended by fucking garbage person piece of shit, Defense Secretary James Mattis. Quote, By its very nature, military service requires sacrifice, Mattis wrote in a memo to the president that was released Friday. The men and women who serve voluntarily accept limitations on their personal liberties, freedom of speech, political activity, freedom of movement, in order to provide the military lethality and readiness necessary to ensure American citizens enjoy their personal freedoms to the fullest extent. Current transgender service members who have not undergone reassignment surgery should be allowed to stay, as long as they have been medically stable for 36 consecutive months in their biological sex before joining the military and are able to deploy across the world, Mattis recommended. Mattis also recommended that anyone diagnosed with gender dysphoria, (laughs) the condition of wanting to transition gender, since the Obama administration ended the Pentagon's longtime ban on transgender service in 2016, may continue to serve. The decision amounts to a, quote, grandfathering of those affected by the new policy. The new plan will be challenged in court, just as the full ban that Trump issued last summer was, in at least four separate cases that are still ongoing. Federal judges allowed transgender service members to continue serving under the old ban and permitted transgender recruits to join the military as well. The Justice Department filed a copy of Mattis' recommendation in at least one of those legal battles on Friday. Quote, in service to the ideological goals of the Trump-Pence base, the Pentagon has distorted the science on transgender health to prop up irrational and legally untenable discrimination that will erode military readiness, said Aaron Belkin, who has studied transgender issues for the Palm Center, a think tank that worked with the Obama administration in repealing the previous ban. Quote, there is no evidence to support a policy that bars from military service patriotic Americans who are medically fit and able to deploy. Our troops and our nation deserve better. Can I chime in on a couple things? I, yep, I'm just ready to like puke, cry, and burn the world down. So go ahead. A couple things about this. Um, There is a large contingent who swears up and down that Mattis doesn't want this at all. He's only doing it not for Trump, but for Pence. This is Pence's baby, uh, metaphorically speaking and ironically speaking. This is all Pence, and Mattis realizes that sooner or later it's going to be President Pence, at least for a while, and he wants to keep his job when that happens. Well, then he's a fucking hack and fuck him anyway. Yeah, I don't I, give a shit. Yeah, I agree. It's a, So he doesn't want to, but he's doing it anyway, and he's writing the memos to make it legal. So then. pretend that you're not transgender for 36 months, and if you have had gender reassignment surgery, you are not qualified to serve in the U.S. military. Uh, That's some fucking crazy bullshit. Now, the vast majority of trans people have not had reassignment surgery. If I've seen the numbers on it, um, because a it's very expensive and it's very complicated. Um, ult- I do not know why this is a red line. Why does it fucking matter? Why does it matter? Because that's because that's that's where just Daddy Pence just can't handle the idea. I mean, maybe Pence is kind of closet trans himself. No, he's not. He's not one of those. He's <laughs> yeah. not. He's fucking evil. Yeah. There are there are conservative Christian men that hate the gays and hate trans people because they it's hate themselves. To God because that. they hate themselves and they are are closeted and it's a very weird thing. This is not that. You look into those eyes of that man, you look at that man. He's not any of that. Yeah. He is pure fucking hate and pure fucking vile, evil bigotry. Yeah. And this is such an affront to 
everything that our country believes in. You, you want to talk about fucking sacrifice? Oh, military members have to sacrifice their freedom of speech and they have to freedom of movement and da 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 da. They can sacrifice this one, their identity, who they fucking are as human beings. You're saying if you are this human being, then you are not eligible to serve in our armed forces. Fuck you. Right on the eve of when John Bolton wants to get us into a bunch of wars, you're going to, you know, kick thousands of good, you know, strong serving troops out of the military. That makes a lot of sense too, right? It's so fucking shameful and so horrifying. And I am so angry. Now, a lot of military law experts think this will, this will never get through the courts. But it can, they can do a temporary, it, it can have an effect right away, even if the court ultimately strikes it down. Yes. So this is evil. And, and it's not just that, you know, when the U.S. government and the, the military and these people in the highest echelons of power come out and say these things publicly. Yeah. How does that affect people who are transgender who live in this country? How does that affect these kids and 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 their identity and their vision of themselves and what they can and can't do and how they're perceived by the world and their government? And it's it's so far reaching and so destructive and so awful. What it does is it it, it establishes this idea that they're second class citizens. It establishes prejudice it establishes discrimination at the highest levels of our government it's like it's like military segregation pre-1940 right whatever it was right right yeah and oh well if you're transgender it's fine just you know don't identify that way and don't tell anyone for 36 months and then we'll let you come serve we'll let you sacrifice yourself for your country as long as you aren't true to who you actually are as long as you pretend to be somebody else it's kind of the new it's fucking bullshit don't ask don't tell in a way except don't ask don't tell was a very obvious foot in the door yep which people didn't see at the time and didn't understand and it effectively worked that way it created the slippery slope that we wanted yes uh in an incremental way you know, uh, but this is much different. Yes. This is, this is rolling things backward and and drawing a hard line and saying you are, you don't have the same rights and we don't accept you as the same kind of people. And you're a different kind of person if you've had this surgery than if you haven't. And if, I mean, it it doesn't make any sense It because it doesn't make any sense because it's just fucking bigotry and hatred and discrimination for no goddamn reason. There is no evidence at all study after study that shows that there's any degradation of morale in the military, that there is any negativity associated with having trans members serve in the military. If you talk to military veterans, people who have served with LGBT members, including trans people, they don't give a shit. This has nothing to do with the military and everything to do with disgusting conservative politics and hatred and bigotry and nothing to do with military readiness Even or morale dad. or anything else. Even my dad in Vietnam served with some trans people. Right. He didn't give a shit. Nope. My conservative veteran father. Right. <laughs> so. When you talk to actual veterans who have served with people, they don't give a shit what's in your pants. Or what you do with what's in your pants. They care about your service to your country and having their back and them having yours. Yeah. And frankly, 
These fucking generals and these politicians could learn a lot from the people who are actually serving in the military that they are at the head of. This is a Pence thing all the way. This is a Pence, hard right evangelical thing. And uh, again, the timing of it is a distraction. And uh, we'll see. Uh, hopefully it moves very quickly to be struck down by the courts. But keep your eye on that because that is not the last of the attacks against trans people. No. Nope. There, there are more coming. Of course. Uh you know, which again, the log cabin Republicans and the gays for Trump. Oh, fuck yourself. Yeah, this is this is what you get. This is what you get, Stein people. This is this is the legacy that you don't well, care about. Well, doesn't affect you, so I guess it's fucking fine. But it's not fine with me. No, it's not fine. Nor should it be. And to all of our loved ones and friends and listeners who are trans, I'm sorry. And. <sighs> Just know that we have your fucking back yeah, and this is bullshit and it does not reflect on you and it does not reflect on your service. <sighs> and we're going to take it back. Yep. Yep. Add it to the list of many things that we have to turn around here in the fucked up upside down. Yeah. And that's about going to do it for us today. Uh, sorry to leave you on a rage. <laughs> well, no, we're not. That's what we're all about. Yeah. Uh, to point out the awful garbage terrible disgusting puke inducing things that this uh republican slash trump uh, leadership is trying to bring to us remind you we have to fight every day especially for people who are not like us that's right we are white cis not trans um and this is not we're okay we're as privileged us. as we can be some of us more than others but that doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, right? That we use that privilege to fucking help everybody else. Well, that's These the, are my people. That's the point. These are our people. This is not some idea in a, you know, some abstract idea. These are people that are in our lives that I love. Yeah. And we will not let it stand as long as we have breath. So a lot we didn't get to. We haven't even really gotten in depth with the Facebook Cambridge Analytica stuff. We have not gotten into the recent study with the New York Times. I encourage you to look up. I know we hate the New York Times, but they, they just released this very <laughs> interesting study that no matter what sort of level of class you're born into, you fare much better if you were white Correct. than if you were a person of color. Yes. Which does Regardless not... of economics. Hi, Bernie. Yeah. So we will talk about that when yes. we can, when we get to it. We will try. I know there's so much that we just can't get to. And hey, let's do do a thing um, at the very end here. Uh, over the next week, if you guys have... Something that you see in the news that you really want us to talk about? Well, you just at a reverend testimony, just tweet us at or email duo. us. Yeah, at a reverend duo or um, reverend testimony at gmail.com. Just like shoot a quick note and we'll take like a tally of those things and try to get to that stuff because there's just too fucking much to cover. Yep. And I want to know what you guys care about. So let us know if there's something that comes up or you think maybe we didn't see something. Just let us know. I'd rather get more than less. So stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. Talk to you next week.